talking benefits. 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 Talking. Talking. Talk a little bit about benefits. Yeah, benefits. Talking benefits. You are listening to Talking Benefits. Every month, we cover the top stories in retirement and healthcare, the latest benefits, hot topics, and whatever else the industry throws at us. I'm Justin Held. I'm Ann Patterson. I'm Julie Stick. And I'm Kelly Colesrude. Now let's talk benefits. It's that time of year again. We're heading back to school. Yep, August is fading into September, and parents are sending their kids back into the classroom. It may be back to school for some workers, too. With this crazy job market, some workers may be re-examining their skill sets and reviewing the educational benefits that their employers offer. Education is key if workers are looking for a new job or if they're looking for a lateral move or a promotion and need to up their skills. That's right, Julie. But the skyrocketing costs of higher education are leading to increasing debt levels, and this is giving workers some pause. This crisis has made headlines with the total U.S. student loan debt exceeding $1.5 trillion. Yikes. Yeah. Recently, Forbes reported that over 44 million individuals have some student loan debt, with an average balance of more than $38,000. Unfortunately, a lot of people fall outside of that average. Many, like actually one of our show producers, Rose, leaves school with much more debt. I had a chance to chat with her earlier about the impact that the student loan debt has had on her life. Rose, as we were planning for this episode, we realized that you join many other college graduates in taking on immense student loan debt. Can you tell us a little bit about what your experience has been like? I guess the best place to start is to tell you a little bit about where I came from, my background. So I'm the oldest of two children in my family, and my parents went to college, but it was in the 70s when tuition was much more manageable. Right. So when I was 17 and making the decision about where to go to school, my whole family was really in on chartered territory. We did the typical college tours and got answers to the questions we thought we knew to ask, but I still ended up enrolling at a private university without a major in mind, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I did get some scholarships and grants, but both my parents and I still took out loans to pay for it. And as an aside, I also started dating my future husband while I was in college. Okay. So when we both graduated, between the two of us, we had student loans in the six figures. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And most of it was mine. Um, to be right. fair to him, most of it was mine. <laughs> In case he's listening. Right. Um, but it's been over 10 years since we graduated, and I have since refinanced some of my student okay. loans. But to this day, our monthly student loan payments are still actually higher than our monthly mortgage payments. Wow. Yeah, it's wow. pretty intense. What sort of guidance do you wish that you had going into college that may have helped you feel more prepared and, and helped you kind of plan for this kind of future? Oh my gosh, there are so many things I wish I had known or done differently. Okay. Um, first, I wish I had someone to sit down and explain the magnitude or just the value of money. Mm-hmm. So obviously I knew that twenty or fifty or eighty thousand dollars is a ton of money, but it's still a really abstract concept when you're seventeen and you've never had a career. Right. You've never made a serious purchase before. What does $80,000 really mean? How long does it take to pay off? What is my monthly payment going to be? And really, based on that monthly payment, can I afford that based on the job that I might get based on the major I'm choosing? That you don't even know that you're going to choose exactly. it yet. Yes. And I know not all, someone can't answer all of those questions for me, but just giving some perspective mm-hmm. would have been really helpful. Sure. 
I also had absolutely no understanding of loan interest. So I think it's really important to remember that the sticker price for tuition is not the actual cost you're paying if you're taking out a loan. It's tuition plus interest. Mm -hmm. So what you pay is actually exponentially more than the principal of your loan. And you take out a loan per year of school, which means that the interest rates will change per year as well. For example, I went to school from 2003 to 2007, so my interest rates ranged from 5 to 10% when I graduated. And like I said, I have since refinanced those loans with the worst rates, but I still pay thousands of dollars in interest a year. Right. So it's really overwhelming, and I literally had no idea about it when I was taking those loans out. Right. The last thing I guess I would say that I wish I had known about is I would have loved more guidance on possible careers and other options besides going to a four-year college. I had almost no career counseling in high school, and it's not a critique of my high school. I think that's just very common. You know, there's only a few people to go around for all the students in the school, so how do they possibly reach everyone. And I would have just simply loved advice on what careers actually exist. Mm -hmm. You know, what is really out there that might be a good fit for me. And that was not something I knew about. And you changed so much in those formative years. Well, true. always changing. But I mean, especially at that time in your life, you have no idea how to predict what you're going to be good at or what you're going to be passionate about. Knowing the breadth of opportunities available, I think would have made me be more open to different ideas and maybe would have helped in in choosing a school Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Narrowing down your choices. Mm -hmm. Yep. So tying this back into employee benefits, are there any resources that employers could currently offer that you think would be helpful for managing student loan debt besides actually helping to pay them off? Personally, I have a solid budget. A basic financial planning program doesn't necessarily motivate me. It's not something that's an immediate need. And personally, I think if employers want to offer support, they need to think about offering it at multiple levels of preparedness. So financial planning and budgeting basics is certainly essential for those that need it. But employers should really think about offering something else more advanced for those that already have budgeting locked in. And I don't really have any silver bullet ideas on what that is, but I do know that I'm always looking for ways to increase my income so that it's not always everything in, everything out every month. Mm -hmm. It's a good point. Yeah. So, you know, does the employer offer opportunities or suggestions for employees to earn more money? Mm -hmm. Are there bonuses or overtime options? And if if those aren't options, can the employer eliminate other bills through employee benefits like subsidizing gym memberships or dry cleaning? Mm -hmm. Really just every little bit helps for those of us that are burdened with all this debt. Any way the employer can help is a bonus in itself. Yes. And those are great ideas for maybe smaller employers who can't take on a program where they they're repaying student loan debt, right. but there are other smaller ways to help support yeah. employees dealing with that. Yep, absolutely. Great ideas. Obviously, we work in employee benefit, so you especially understand the importance of starting to save early for retirement, that mm-hmm. power of compounding. Yes. <laughs> um, how did you plan for this financially, and what tips can you pass along to others kind of facing the same challenge of balancing that? The way I kind of think about it is if I'm living frugally now to pay off all my debts. I absolutely want to have enough money saved in retirement so I can finally enjoy myself. Yes. You know, so I really do contribute partly just so that I can I can retire. Mm-hmm. And I if I'm living frugally in these year in my 30s, 
Yeah, hopefully I can travel a little bit later on yes, in life. Yes, it's a good plan. And because I have a 401k, it is easy for me to contribute to my retirement account because it's money I never see. Yep. So my contribution is made pre-tax via salary deferral, very much like all other 401k plans. So I never really got used to living on that money. I started contributing as soon as I could, and that really just helps. It's just built right into my budget. Yes, exactly. And I do You're think not this missing is, it. Yeah, I do think this is key. So my advice to employees is to start contributing as soon as you're eligible so that you learn to live on the lower take-home pay right from the start. And also for employers, when you're designing a 401k or a 403b plan, the timing of eligibility for employee contributions is critical. If you're going to implement a waiting period, think about limiting that waiting period to just employer contributions so that employees can contribute right away and get used to their take-home pay amount on the first paycheck. Or if you have a waiting period that you have to implement for employee participation, maybe time the enrollment period with a small pay raise to counteract forcing the employee to choose between retirement savings or pay cut. Sure. I just want to say, too, like, I recognize this. this was my choice to go to college. Absolutely. I'm not blaming it on anyone else. Right. So I do make sacrifices and tough choices based on what I can manage so that I can afford to pay my loans and save. Mm-hmm. So... At a small level, I don't commit to things I can't comfortably afford, and this includes simple choices like being frugal and clipping coupons, but it also includes big choices. So, for example, my husband and I made the choice to hold off on starting a family until our student loans are paid off. We'll be in our late 30s when this happens, you know, fingers crossed. Yes. (laughs) Um, But there's just no way we can afford a family, so we decided not to take on that financial burden. Sure. And there are definitely days when I get very resentful of the choice that I made when I was 17 and how it so deeply still affects every aspect of my life all these years later. Mm -hmm. But that's why it's so important to have as much information and support as possible when making the decision to attend college at any age. Yes. And I think this, our conversation today can help employees. It can help employers too on providing guidance to employees that have children making these decisions coming up and have loved ones that they're advising. It's it's great to have all of these tips and your story in mind as, as they're making those decisions. So thank you so much for taking time today to chat with us, Rose. Thanks you're a fabulous for... producer and now you're <laughs> offering you. even more advice. So many talents. Well, thanks for having me. I <laughs> yes. appreciate it. Wow, the costs of college have definitely gone up since I was in school. Julie, I think we lucked out and got our education before university costs rose so dramatically. I think we did. I had some financial help from my parents for tuition and room and board in the dorm, but I was able to work during the summer to pay for my other expenses. And I did get a loan for my graduate degree, but the costs were not overwhelming and I paid it off in a relatively short amount of time. Yeah, I was lucky. I had help from my parents too, and uh, I worked and was able to pay the rest of it. I didn't need to borrow any money, but that was a while ago. So in the past 30 years, post-secondary education costs have increased at a much higher rate than other consumer costs. Yeah, those lines diverge when you see them on a graph. 
And Rose's story, as we're learning more and more, is not unique. Um, a recent Washington Post article echoes exactly what she shared and highlighted how this debt significantly impacts other parts of the economy in our society. One example is how this loan debt is delaying marriage and parenthood. It's also impacting the housing market because it's more difficult to save for a down payment. And this has ended up leading to a significant drop in the home ownership rate among younger borrowers. Right. Yeah, lots of lots of impacts just based on this one uh, crisis here. Mm-hmm. So the whole economy is affected, really. Yeah, yeah really absolutely. Is. Yeah. Yeah, the article also stated that uh, loan debt makes it harder for workers to weather financial crises and prevents younger workers for saving for retirements. This in turn forces people to stay longer in the workforce. And we're going to hear uh, from one employer later in the podcast who is implementing an innovative strategy to help workers save for retirements, even if they are battling some higher balances with the student loan debt. Yeah, and it's no longer just younger workers who are being burdened by student loan debt balances. AARP reports that student loan debt is soaring among older adults. Americans age 50 and over account for 20% of the $1.5 trillion student loan debt. Some people carry their own balances from long ago or from starting a a second career. And some sign on or co-sign on for their children's and grandchildren's student loans, leaving them in debt at a much later stage in their life. Yes, I I agree. I've read that's really becoming more and more common. And the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau says the number of older consumers with student loan debt has quadrupled over the last decade. And the average amount they owe has also dramatically increased. The Bureau also says this makes people age 60 and older the fastest growing segment of the student loan market. And here's another scary statistic. Nearly 40% of student loan borrowers age 65 and older are in default. Yikes. That's scary. So obviously all this has major implications from an employer perspective as well. Every workforce demographic group is being impacted by debt, and that's leading to increased worker stress. According to our 2018 study, Mental Health in the Workplace, 40% of responding organizations stated that their worker population is either extremely or very stressed. Uh, One-third of these employers have reported an increase in stress levels over just the past two years. And this is among one of the reasons why employers should care, workplaces should be concerned about this. As you can imagine, this stress impacts overall job performance, absenteeism, morale, relationships with coworkers, and even workplace safety. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, enough with the negative. You know, let's yes. go see what <laughs> we do, right? And let's talk about what employers can do to help their employees. Yes, thank you. Thank you for ending that, Julie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So as an employer, how do you combat these issues? Uh, The first most obvious answer is to offer a a tuition reimbursement program. These programs are relatively common. Uh, According to the Foundation's 2019 Education Benefits Survey, 63% of organizations offer a program, and uh, prevalence is higher amongst the larger employers in our survey base. These programs often take the form of an educational assistance plan under Internal Revenue Code Section 127, a working condition fringe benefit under IRC 132D, or a qualified scholarship under IRC Section 117. Lots of options there. Yeah. And typically, these programs reimburse for tuition, books, and administrative and exam fees. So that's helpful. Tuition reimbursement programs under the code have been available really for many years, and our responding employers have been using them for several years as well. More than 60% of those offering reimbursement programs have done so for 11 years or more. 
Yeah, so this is a pretty well-established benefit. Mm -hmm. So, And employers can control the cost of these programs by setting annual dollar limits, uh, length of service requirements, and uh, performance requirements for reimbursement. That's right. For example, among the employers that limit how much they'll reimburse, most use the IRS's tax-free limit of $5,250. So we talk a lot on this show about how benefits are invaluable for employee recruitment and retention. So not only do education benefits serve as a great recruitment device, they certainly can be used as an effective retention device too. And there's certainly the morale factor, right? If we provide this, that makes employees happy. But there can also be a more concrete retention factor. We found that more than half of our responding employers have a payback requirement if an employee who received tuition help leaves the company. Typically, employees have to stay one or two years in order to avoid partial or full payback for the amount that their employer reimbursed them. Another emergent trend we're seeing in larger companies, especially, is that they're partnering directly with educational institutions. So a few years ago, Starbucks announced a plan to pay all tuition costs for employees who want to earn a four-year online bachelor's degree from Arizona State University. Restrictions apply, but these partnerships can end up being really great recruiting tools if it makes sense for the organization. Sure, and I've read about several other employers that have done similar things like Uber and Disney, JetBlue, I Mm -hmm. think, and Taco Bell, and Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are more. While um, tuition reimbursements have been successful and around for a long time, utilization is very low, which is interesting. So half of organizations that offer these programs report that only between 1% and 5% of their eligible workers actually use the benefit. So this is one of those high-impact benefits that really makes a big difference to those who actually take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we also found that about 10% of responding employers offer access to a 529 plan, and these are tax-advantaged savings accounts that can be used to fund higher education expenses for a dependent. A similar proportion offers student loan counseling or refinancing services. And although rare, um, employers have also been known to establish emergency savings accounts for their workers. And it's sounding like more and more vendors are offering to manage these 529 plans as an employee benefit, which shows an increased focus on these rising educational costs. As we continue chatting, education-related benefits don't necessarily have to be just focused on the financial aspect. There are a lot of other approaches uh, smaller employers can implement as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right, Anne. Some employers offer their employees some time off for education purposes. According to our survey, just over one quarter of our responding employers approve leave for this purpose, most typically time off for exams or for classes. A few even approve time off for studying, which is pretty neat. Yeah, that's really nice. Another idea is that when employers are offering financial education to their workers, they can address student loan debt specifically in addition to the the other more common topics like budgeting, debt management, saving for retirement. Uh, Like Rose mentioned earlier, employers can provide multiple levels of support from the financial planning and budgeting basics to more advanced offerings for those employees who kind of have the whole budgeting basic stuff locked in. As Rose mentioned earlier in the episode, another creative option is to offer support to employees and their dependents on choosing the right school for their desired career path or one that plays to their interests. There's often an assumption that high schools and colleges are doing this, but I don't think that's really the case. I mean, I remember in my high school counselor, you know, they have a lot of other things they have to deal with, and they can't do a lot of one-on-one 
career and college choice counseling. Right. And no you're time. 16, 17 making this decision that's going to alter your entire life and your budget. It's Yeah, how on earth do you know what you want to do right. when you're 17 years <laughs> it's old? very I rare. I know what I wanted to do. Well, and even if you do, they're, you know going to the most expensive school that offers this may not be the best option exactly. if you're going to be paying loans forever for decades mm -hmm. to come. Right. <laughs> and another tip as an employer is to make sure to explore the resources that you may already be paying for as an employer. Check to see if there's any student or career guidance services that may be available as part of your employee assistance plan. Uh, more than 80% of our membership offer an EAP, so uh, make sure to check out those resources if you, ha if you have access to them. Mm -hmm. So you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's great for people who uh, incur debt while employed, but what about loans taken out before employment? Stay tuned. After the break, uh, we'll talk about the emerging trend of student loan repayment assistance and hear one employer's innovative take on it. Wow, the stats about education benefits we've been sharing in this episode have been extra interesting. Yes, and they're all from International Foundation survey reports. That's awesome. Members get free access to survey reports, right? Yes, that's one of the exclusive perks that comes with a membership. Members also receive free webcasts, access to a personalized research service, a daily email containing industry headlines, instant information on hundreds of topics, and more. I love the legislative and regulatory updates and flipping through my monthly benefits magazine as well. Visit ifebp.org membership for a full listing of all member benefits. Another emerging trend that we're tracking is student loan repayment assistance, where an employer makes contributions to help pay down employee student loan debt. Currently, this benefit is being offered by only 4% of employers who responded to our survey. And again, this is more common amongst our larger organizations. These programs can help attract future talent, retain current employees, and increase employee satisfaction and loyalty. Didn't we find out from that report that more employers are thinking about it, though? Like, it's kind of top of mind? Definitely, yeah. There was a larger percentage that were uh, considering it in the next few years okay. as a offering. So yeah, yeah, that'll definitely. be really interesting to watch. What's a common structure for these types of programs, would you say? Well, what we're seeing is that employers are giving their employees a certain dollar amount that they're willing to repay of the employee's student debt. Often they'll pay a certain amount each year over a course of several years. For example, employees may get $2,000 each year for five years up to a limit of $10,000. That's right, Kelly. And doing it in this way uh, encourages employee retention. So if the employee stays, they get the full amount of reimbursement. Exactly. And most often these repayment plans are administered by an external vendor as opposed to managing it internally. Mm -hmm. And the majority of employers that have a, a loan repayment program, um, they've only had one for uh, one or two years or fewer. So uh, employers are still learning the ropes on this benefit. And it seems like they're also kind of getting creative because it's newer. Yep. We've been hearing of some em employers who have introduced programs where non-elective employer contributions are made to retirement accounts, like a 401k plan, if workers make payments to their student loan balances. 
That way, employees are paying down their debt but not completely missing the boat on saving for retirement, which we know is very important. One of these employers in particular, Abbott from the Chicago area, introduced their Freedom to Save program around this time last year. This ended up prompting a private letter ruling in which the IRS stated that this program did not violate existing law. So it's a very cool, innovative program that's in the works. Mm -hmm. Yes, and we were really curious about this program and had some follow-up questions, so we went right to the source. Julie spoke with Mary Moreland, Executive Vice President for Human Resources at Abbott, about the program. So let's listen in. I am here today very pleased to be speaking with Mary Moreland, who is Executive Vice President of Human Resources at Abbott. Um, Welcome, Mary. Thanks for being on our podcast. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'd like to uh, just start out for our listeners who aren't familiar with your program. Can you share how the structure of Abbott's Freedom to Save plan works? So we believe that our employees should not have to choose between paying down student loans and saving for retirement. So this program, Freedom to Save, enables us to contribute to our employees' retirement savings while they pay down their student debt. To understand the program, you first need to understand the structure of our 401k. It's very simple. Employees put 2% or more of their pay into our 401k plan, and we provide a 5% match. So as long as they put in 2%, we provide the 5%. Simple as that. Okay. Under the Freedom to Save program, as long as employees are contributing 2% of their pay towards their student loans, we put 5% of pay into the 401k plan on their behalf. That's terrific. so over, over time, this has a really significant impact, as you, as you would guess, with saving early and the, the magic of compound interest. So someone who joins Abbott with, let's say, a starting pay of $70,000 who contributes for 10 years could get up to $54,000 in their 401k account, and that's assuming a 6% average return. That means they would have $54,000 in the 401k account, but they've never contributed to the 401k because we've assumed that they've been paying off their loan during that time. So right. take that 54000 early in your career and compound it into the future. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars by the time they retire. Right, and that would be money and that they wouldn't normally have because since they wouldn't be normally contributing, you wouldn't have been matching. Exactly. And at the same time, what we hope they're doing is taking that 2% they would otherwise be putting into the 401k and contributing that to their loans so that they're actually paying their loans off more quickly as well. Right. That's a that's a great plan because uh, that way we can, they can start knocking down the interest on that debt as well. Yes. So I, you know, I was going to ask you what inspired you to create this, but it, it must have come about because you had that wish. You must have heard from employees that student loan debt was a problem. Yes. A little more broadly, we are a very innovative company in our products that, that we create and that we provide to our customers. But we extend that culture of innovation beyond just our products and into how we develop our benefits and how we develop other programs for our employees. Obviously, our goal, as as with many companies, is to attract and retain the best and the brightest in our industry. But we believe that by anticipating their greatest needs and helping them to address those needs through an innovative approach, we will be able to win that race and attract and retain the best and brightest. We also don't want employees who invested in their education to suffer and be unable to save for retirement, which is why we we started thinking about how could we address these dual issues that we knew existed. Employees who are 
doing everything they can to make themselves attractive to us as an employer by becoming educated and at the same time unable to save for retirement because they have this debt. We also wanted to address this issue early in their career because every decade that you wait to start saving for retirement, the amount you need to save roughly doubles. That is very true. So we put all of that together and said we think we'd be a great recruiting tool and a retention tool. We've done our own research that shows 9 out of 10 college students with student loans say it's important to them to find a company with a student loan benefit. And even more interesting to me is 6 out of 10 working adults with education debt said they would consider switching companies if they could find a company that offered a student debt employee benefit. And 42% of working adults with student debt aren't saving for retirement at all. So we took all of those factors and said, what could we do to address this problem in an innovative way that really has an impact for our employees? That's great. Well, so it's been about a year since you launched the plan. Have you found a positive reaction from employees who are facing student loan debt? Very positive, very positive reaction. We're, we're approaching about 1,000 people signed up so far. We've, we've seen a big uptick as we expected in the summer as we hire off of campus. Two-thirds of our enrollees were hired in the last two years, so we expect that to continue to increase as we have more new hires joining. The average amount of debt in the program is 38200 but the maximum amount that we've seen in the program is 300000 Wow. We expected people to be early in their career, and that's been borne out about two-thirds are under 35. What struck me was 10% are over 45. So we know that Student debt isn't a problem just early in your career, but it also continues throughout the career. We're hearing from some new hires that Freedom to Save is actually the, a key reason that they joined our company. We have an engineer in California. He's in his mid-20s, and he has about $60,000 in student debt. Through Freedom to Save, he's calculated, as an engineer would, <laughs> that he'll be able to pay it off four years earlier with $7,000 less in interest. And he had multiple competing offers that chose Abbott partly because of our Freedom to Save program. That's great. One of the things that I saw is that you have no limit on this, right? So as long as your employees contribute to put 2% per year towards their student loan, you'll continue to match into the 401k, correct? That's correct. Okay. So for other organizations that are thinking about implementing a program to help their employees uh, manage student loan debt, do you have any tips that you could share with us? Sure. Lots of lessons learned. Probably most importantly, Start off thinking about what you're trying to do and why you're trying to do it. Don't let yourself get mired into the how because benefits professionals, we tend to focus on how will we administer this program rather, and we really made ourselves not worry about that. And so let's figure that out later. Let's first think about the kind of program we would like to create. So what do we want to do? What are we trying to achieve for our employees? How can we do that? given the current legal framework, and then think about, okay, now how can we administer it? Secondly, really focus on how does this support your company's goals and your philosophy. We focus very heavily on caring for our employees and helping them build a secure future for themselves and their families. And so this was just right in alignment with all of our philosophy and our focus on caring for employees that way. Uh, Obviously, a program like this truly took a village because you need the right people in legal and in tax up front, and then our vendors and our payroll team, once we decided we would try to figure out how to administer it. So getting those folks involved early so that we didn't come in and surprise them later, and we made sure they were all all in with us and as excited as we were about the program was really helpful. And then finally, I just encourage other employers to take a risk 
on trying something new and different. This has been so great for our employees and our organization more broadly. I'd like to see others doing the same thing, and I'd like to see us doing more of it as well. Right. Well, I I think that's what's innovative and really interesting about your program is that you kind of created this idea that hadn't been done and then uh, really fascinating that you applied for a private letter ruling on this. It's interesting. I've been asked a couple of times, why did you do that? Wasn't it difficult? And our perspective was, why wouldn't we? Yeah. Well, yeah, since you guys came up with this uh, innovative idea, it makes sense then you wanted to see if that was, okay, you mentioned the legalities and the tax laws, so interesting approach. Yes, and while it certainly took some time, probably six months or so of, you know, once we submitted and kind of went back and forth, it wasn't horribly expensive, and we just felt that it was the right thing to do for us and for our employees. Well, great, great. Thanks so much. Is there anything else you wanted to share with us today, Mary? You know, one question I get all the time is, what's your return on investment? How did you justify this? What's your ROI? We actually think this program will save us money in the long run because while we don't have a problem with retention, we think this will even further strengthen our retention of these very critical employees. Based on productivity that we can retain, replacement costs, we actually think we might we would save as much as $5 per dollar that we put into the program. Wow. Well, I would think and something like this would build employee loyalty. Absolutely. You know, to us, employees are much more than a, the, the cost of their pay. They're our biggest asset. And we really wanted to focus on investing in them because we know that will drive their loyalty and help us to retain them, which is exactly what we're trying to do. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much for being with us here today on our podcast, Mary. We appreciate it. Thank you. Great interview. We'll have to follow up in the future and see how that program is going. Absolutely. So before we wrap up this episode, we just had a couple of quick notes. To those who are tempted to co-sign loans, just think before you sign the dotted line. Everyone wants to help out a loved one, but you must understand the risk that you're taking personally. What is the return on investment for the student's expected college degree? What is going to be the total cost of the education? And how does that compare with their ability to repay those loans in the future? Make sure to take the emotion out of the situation and think before you sign for a loved one. And one more final piece of advice. If you're listening to this podcast, share what you've learned. You could be a touch point in another person's life. We personally found that the most effective and impactful advice on finances and educational decisions came from a mentor, family member, or a friend. So that's it for this month. Thank you to Rose and to Mary Moreland for sharing your time and experience with us. And as always, thanks to all of you for listening. See you next time. If you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes. It helps others find the podcast. And subscribe to it on iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you prefer, so that our episodes will automatically appear on your mobile device. Today's program is copyrighted in 2019 by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans. All rights reserved. The opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and not to be used as legal counsel. Wait, we're not. It's, we're showing you going to say see y'all. Oh, oh you not? said seeing. I was being we'll see you. Which I you, you can tune in next time. Tune in next time. <laughs> Amanda, you can choose. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>